We're on a collision course with the national championship, and the only variable is time. Because the train is rolling, so anybody out there, I can't tell you what's going to happen right now, but it's coming. Get on board, but get out the way. You're listening to From the Pink Seats Podcast of the State of Louisville Podcast Network. Now, here's your host, Jacob Lane, Matt McGavin, and Vince LaCocco. Welcome in to a new series on From the Pink Seats Podcast. Jacob Lane, Presley Meyer, Vincent LaCocco, Matt McGavick, the entire gang is here. We have got... A lot to get into. The Louisville football season has been over for, what, a month and a half now? It feels like it's been about a year because of all that's (laughs) happened uh, since 2022 ended with a new coach and a new scheme and all these new players coming in. But what we're going to do on this show is if you've been listening for the last couple of years, you're aware at the end of the season, we go back and we look at the season that was and we try to tell the story of how it came to its totality at the end of the year by each of the the, the phases of football. So tonight we're going to talk offense with our good friend Keith Tobridge, former Louisville football tight end played under Charlie Strong and Bobby Petrino former NFL tight end that played for the Buffalo Bills and the Washington football team Keith is a football junkie and we are going to talk in detail about this offense and and yes it is a Scott Satterfield led offense right that doesn't really matter anymore at this point Scott Satterfield is uh, headed north on I-71 to the the great city of Cincinnati and uh, it doesn't matter what he did anymore on this offense because he's gone the bad man's gone and Jeff is here and we can celebrate that and we can talk about how it impacts 2023 and we'll do all of that tonight on the show uh, as we would but we're going to talk about the details of the offense because 2022 happened and there is a lot that could have happened better there's a lot that could have happened worse and so we're going to break all of that down tonight Presley give me one word that breaks down that summarizes this offense in 2022 I would say the offense was perplexing and, and the reason being because I think that they had all the tools to succeed they had the tools to, as we'll get into a little bit, they had the tools to be elite and they were average at best. Uh, and, and they, and that includes having an offensive line that we would grade out really well running back core that we would grade out really well, you know, some different pieces on the offense that are incredibly talented. Ultimately though, it was perplexing because they just couldn't, they couldn't get it figured out. It, it started out with only seven points against Syracuse. Uh, and, and finish the season with with four turnovers against Cincinnati, like and, and everything in between. There were ups and downs, but ultimately it was perplexing that they just couldn't get with a six year quarterback who, you know, was considered one of the better players in the ACC and with with some excellent weapons on offense, excellent offensive line, uh, excellent uh, running back room should have been much better than it was. And so we'll, we'll get into all that tonight. Perplexing, I think, is the is the that's just the perfect word for it. We're going to break down the offense in totality tonight, as I said on here on From the Pink Seats podcast. We thank you guys so much for tuning in. And we've got a great series ahead here as we dive into the defense, as we talk to former players, as we get into some of the coaching details. And then, of course, we'll look forward to 2023 and other parts of the season of 2022. So a lot to get into over the next couple of weeks. We hope that you'll tune in. Subscribe anywhere you get your shows from, from the Pink Seats podcast. Give us a follow on Twitter at Pink Seats Pod at the State of Lou. Of course, from the Pink Seats 
Seats podcast, one of the many podcasts on the State of Louisville Podcast Network. So we'd encourage you to check those out, stateoflouisville.com. And of course, the UofL Report is where you will find the work of one Matt McGavick. Let's jump right into this episode. Keith Tobridge is going to join us. We're going to talk about chacaronis. We're going to talk about offense. We're going to talk about the tight end position and have an interesting debate between a guy that was a fullback and a guy that was a tight end in college. So a lot uh, is going to be in store for you tonight on From the Pink Seats podcast. Again, Jacob Lane, Presley Meyer, Vince LaCoco, Matt McGavick. Let's jump into this one now with Keith Tobridge. Our good friend Keith Tobridge joins us, former Louisville football tight end, NFL tight end, talking about the offense in 2022 for Louisville. How are you, my friend? I am excellent, man. How are you guys? Doing well. I want to start with two things. First, you're formerly buff- a former Buffalo Bill, the DeMar Hamlet situation. I want to talk about your feelings and just what, what that was like for you. It was definitely devastating. I was sitting on my couch um, and watching it live. And in my first instance, of course, when somebody goes down, it's either a freaking head injury, no matter freaking concussion or ACL when they're down for that long. That's the first instinct. But then when they show the replay of him standing up off the hit and then instantly falling down, you and as a football player and as a fan, you kind of think of it, okay, he must have just it probably got a concussion, right? But then after a while, it starts to really set in, it settled in like he hasn't got up yet. So um, initially, I literally started praying just because of, right, um, we all watch the sport. We all probably play the sport at, at some moment of time, and we never really think about those injuries in the back of our head. It's been a thought, but not not really like one of those deals where it's in the forefront of, of what we do on a day-to-day basis. Um, so I, I'm my my feelings were all over the place. Of course, being out of ball since 2020 kind of settled in. It's like, man, I'm I'm kind of glad that I'm out of the sport just because I don't necessarily have to deal with it. But it's also the deal where it's that's where people make their money on a day-to-day basis. Um, but I'm definitely glad that he's doing a lot better now. Um, glad that NFL um made it a really, really big deal that entire week um for everyone across you know, the NFL and the organization. So I'm, I'm extremely happy that he's he's back at home in Buffalo and kind of going through the test. And I don't know what's in store for him next. That's, that's God's plan, but definitely grateful that he got up from that for sure. It's definitely some miraculous healing, man. He's gone home oh. from the hospital, you know, came out of, of the, the, off the ventilator just within a couple of days, just crazy. Um, not to transition or, or kind of yeah. go into less hearted stuff, but you've, you've not been in Louisville playing for the Cardinals since 2016. So it's been a little while. I, you're yeah. an old folk now. Welcome to the club. <laughs> He's <laughs> always been old, man. Even when he was playing, he was the old dude. Everybody used to call him Monk. Oh my God. <laughs> I love that, man. So what, what have you been up to? What have you been up to? Uh, you know what, man? I've, when people say this transition from football to real life is difficult, I wouldn't be lying to you if I did if I said it wasn't difficult. But the biggest thing is football has taught me a lot throughout this entire process, right? So I've been out of ball since 2020. My last stint was with uh the Washington Redskins quotation marks when they were called the Redskins before they moved to the football team and then now the commanders. Um been out of ball since 2020, and I kind of made a transition to where it was like, hey, like this ball dropped, like we got to figure something out. It was COVID right before COVID I got released. Um, and then I was bouncing around from workout to workout, couldn't find anything. So I said, you know what, I'm about to, I'm about to just keep spinning my wheels on this freaking ball stuff when I can go find a job. Right. Um, and then moved into the recruiting space. I was doing like it recruiting for a while. And then now I'm kind of at Papa John's doing supply chain recruiting and I've been coaching football um, as well on the side um, was, was at Bourbon County 
at first in 2019, coached ball at Western High School throughout COVID 2020. Um, and then I've been at Cal for two years going on three. So um, just coaching ball, man, um, and and kind of making a living for myself here in this corporate space. So, so you're also doing, uh, I know this because I was a part of it, but the Kentucky-Tennessee Future Stars game with yes. uh, Rico Hughes and those guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's it been like? You know, being able to pour into the youth, being the kids that in the summer at the Kentucky Tennessee game and the kids mm-hmm. you're coaching now at Cal. Man, um, what's so funny is when I never would have even thought that I'll be coaching the eighth grade group. I always thought that when I first got to NFL, when Rico recruited me to be a part of um, him and um, Agent Dave, be a part of their 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 group for the NFL guys. Every year since 2017, I always helped out with the tryouts and, and the combine and stuff like that. But I never coached because I was away for ball. I was in training camp, OTAs, et cetera. Um, and then now I kind of got the opportunity um, to where he was like, hey, listen, like I'm looking for an eighth grade coach. You willing to do it? I said, screw it. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> um, had opportunity to go to freaking Camelsville and stay in the dorms. And I haven't slept in a twin bed since Betty Johnson days. Oh, yes. Years. Oh, I love it. So Your feet were probably hanging off the end, weren't they? Yeah. For sure. <laughs> hanging off the edge, um, you know, only taking one or two, one shower a day, getting up at freaking six o'clock in the morning with the kids and kind of going through training camp all over again. <laughs> um, but man, it was, it was definitely, um, very challenging for the most part, just because you kind of got to, it's kind of treated like a, uh, an all-star game where you got four days to kind of give kids the amount of tools and amount of preparation, basically the, 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 the answers to the test before the game on Saturday in three to four days. Right. So we kind of had multiple practices in the, in the day, but it was extremely um, challenging. But it was also really, really good. Just kind of get the kids out of their environment on a daily basis, uh, speak to someone else outside of their norm um, and kind of just become one. Um, we ended up losing a game, which was kind of which kind of sucks as the eighth grade. We lost 13 and nine on, on the last 20 seconds of the game. Man, we lost on a freaking blocked kick, too. We oh, always man. Up losing to Tennessee in these little last second. BS yes. On, yeah. <laughs> man, the freaking quarterback was like 6'5 from Tennessee, dude. Eighth grade, a big kid, dude. Man, took off from, I think he was on like the opposite. He was on, he, they were in scoring range, 20 seconds left. Well, I take it back. Eight seconds left, man. He scrambles left and rolls all the way to the right side and dove for the front pylon score the game mind you the referees it's freaking this is the third game since nine o'clock in the morning it's 4 p.m in the afternoon they're trying they're to, ready to go <laughs> they're ready to go so they call a touchdown ball game i said oh shit um but no it was, it was definitely fun though um a bunch of the kids still see me to this day coach tobridge what's up man how you doing so um that always feels good but outside that man it was it was definitely fun for sure so you're, you're transitioning to the kentucky scene you know you've been here 10 years damn near yeah. but you're a you're a toledo kid Yes. I spend I spend a lot of time in Toledo, blue collar town for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so how how did that Toledo upbringing kind of mold you into the person that you are? Uh, and and Louisville's not really a you know big. They don't get a lot of players out of Ohio. So mm-hmm. what was your recruitment like? And and how did Toledo kind of kind of mold you in, into who you are today? Absolutely. So we talk about blue collar. Blue collar is, is technically Kentucky too. At the same time. Um, crossing the borders is easy. It's only an hour and a half difference <laughs> from Louisville to Cincinnati. Um, but it's four and a half hour difference from Toledo to Louisville. So um, I've kind of got the slang 
now, as you guys can see, I, I sound country <laughs> now instead of sounding like a city boy. So just imagine that transition. You're putting dips in, drinking beer. You got yes. cowboy boots. You're yes, ready. I just bought me some cowboy boots two years ago. So I'm like, I'm shooting deer. I'm doing all types of stuff. You had to, coaching in Bourbon County. Yeah, there's no going back now. <laughs> no, <laughs> there's, there's definitely no going back now. But, um, man, I you know what's so crazy? What kind of what motivated me throughout my entire college career, bro, was the fact that it was only maybe four Ohio guys on the team when you got a bunch of down South guys, guys from all over the country. Right. Um, I was a part of the original crew with Charlie strong, um, Sharon Moore, um, Pete Nocta, um, Tommy Restivo, um, Clint hurt that, that crew. Right. So Tommy Restivo was actually my recruiter. He was a linebacker coach. And then Sharon Moore was my tight end coach, my freshman year. They came to my house, man. And sat me down was like, listen, like we, we don't come to Ohio much. But we definitely came for you and stuff like that. Um, and just growing up on Ohio, like you said, blue collar. I'm I'm more of a guy, especially playing tight end, bro. I put on my, my hard hat and my lunch pail and I get to work. Um, and that's kind of what my motto has been my entire career. Construction worker, hard hat, lunch pail, steel toe boots. Let's get to work. Um, grind, grind, grind. So it kind of led me to um, my career that I had at Louisville, grinded it the entire way career I had in, in the NFL and also post-career as well, too. So um, recruiting was actually pretty fun. Um, it's a learning curve, especially when you don't know what the hell is going on. I hit a growth spurt from my freshman year to my junior year, and I started getting offers once I hit that growth spurt. Um, I think I may have had maybe 10 offers total. Still waiting on my growth spurt. Same, same, bro. That shit never I showed up in the mail for me. I love you guys, but the growth spur hurts. So my knees were literally on fire every single day. So, um, but yes, I wish I, you know, what's so crazy to this day. I wish I can give some of my heights to some people. I'll take some, bro. Give, yeah. give it to let me, let me get just like, let me get over six feet. I'm fine. Yeah, I was going to say, I just keep two in, inches will help me out. If you guys both <laughs> donate three inches. This is getting weird. Yeah, yeah right. we can all, it's getting odd, can, man. Pause. Me, yeah. me, Vince, and Jacob, we can all get three inches. Or yeah. we can all get two inches. Okay. You know, all right. Whatever. Let's it's get fine. the train back on track here. <laughs> what we are doing here tonight, uh, we, we laid this out in the intro of the show, but for those who aren't familiar or who are just kind of skipping ahead, what we're here to do is to tell the story of the offense for Louisville football in 2022. The Oof. difficult part of this is that when we set out to start planning this show and doing this the way that we've done for the last two seasons, we expected Scott Satterfield to be the head coach. Uh, so at this point, a lot of what happened last year, toss it up, crinkle it out, throw it out the window, because who the hell cares it doesn't matter we're doing a lot of different shit next year but for the time being i think there is still a story to tell about what we saw on the field there's a lot of guys keith you played with malik cunningham it seems like not really but you were just literally like a year apart from him yes um, believe it or not and here he is in 2023 headed into the potentially into the nfl but i want to talk a little bit about hit him specifically uh the Origins of Jawar Jordan, the running game. I want to I want to spend a lot of time talking about the offensive line and the tight ends. Something, Keith, I think you'll be uh, very excited to do. Uh, but tonight we're going to get into the nitty gritty of what this offense did in 2022 and how it produced 
an eight win season, something we didn't see coming about what four or five weeks into the year. Uh, so we'll run through some stats tonight. We'll give out some position grades. We're going to talk about things holistically. We're going to talk about things in very uh, detailed and, and Keith, I'm excited to have you here because one, you are a, a joy to, to follow on Twitter. I think every Louisville football fan, if you're asking for the, the proper Louisville football, who you need to follow, Keith Tobridge is one of those people. Uh, one, because you have great opinions and two, because you know what you're talking about on the field. So tonight that's what we're going to give our audience is uh, unfiltered Keith Tobridge and I am very excited for that. Uh, okay. So let's 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 just start with at the very top of the the iceberg here, and just kind of run through some some very general stats uh, that will help us kind of understand where Louisville finished offensively. Now, mm-hmm. it, it, you don't need a statistician to tell you that where Louisville ended up being offensively was not what we expected heading into the season. So when you're looking at Louisville uh, from an offensive standpoint, according to Pro Football Focus, courtesy of one Matt McGavick here, the overall offense for Louisville, they finished 64th in the country. You say, oh, that's not too bad. You know, that's about, you know, top. You're not in the top 50, but you're not too far outside of it. Passing offense, 96. Uh, passing b- pass blocking offense, surprisingly, 39th in the country. We're going to get into the specifics of why that stat feels a little bit misleading. Uh, running this season, Louisville finished 53rd. Uh, Louisville finished 85th in receiving. Uh, and then from a run blocking standpoint, 35th. Again, big storyline here is the running offense. So keep that stat handy as we talk about this throughout the rest of the night here on the show. When you get into the passing stats, 92nd in total passing attempts in the country. So you're talking about a team that just tried to not throw the football unless they absolutely had to, which if you look at Malik Cunningham from 2019 until 2020, you say 2021, you say, well, that doesn't make any sense. Let's talk about that a little further. So we'll explore that here momentarily. Um, 97th in total passer rating. They played two quarterbacks primarily this season. In fact, their best quarterback might have been Braden Smith. Um, So talking about passing the football. He throws the best ball. I mean, I'm pretty sure. I would say at least 25% of Louisville's explosive passing plays came courtesy of, of balls leaving his hand. Um, I don't know. I don't have the, the data to back that up, but that feels like a, a real claim there. Uh, but th- the rest of the offense, just mediocre, right? Louisville does one thing and they do it really well. So let's start there. When you're talking about this offense, it's the running backs that really control things for Louisville. We'll get into the offensive line here in a bit, but Jawar Jordan, um, a guy that started the season, what third string guys, fourth mm-hmm. string. I mean, I don't even know. I think where it was he would fourth string him. because heading into, in, I think the preseason depth chart, it was Tyon Evans at the top and either three or four guys, we're like, or this, or this, or this. Yeah. Or, 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 yeah, it's, I mean, the, one of the biggest storylines heading into the season was, oh yeah, running back is one of the, if not the deepest position on the roster, which it was. And I'll be damned if that depth did not get tested by the end of the season. They yeah. needed every bit of that depth. Well, I think the biggest thing as far as the running back group, they did their part, right? Absolutely. Um, they can only do so much when there's zone left, zone right, zone left, <laughs> zone right, right? Draw, on the other hand, what did he finish with? 815 yards? When was the last time we had a 1,000-yard running back? Jamie uh, Hawkins. Yeah, Jamie Hawkins, Hawkins right? in 2019. Yeah. yeah, and then you did have Malik at 1,000 yards in 2021. Which... Right. So if you really think about it, that was satisfied. That was satisfied what? First year. First year. First year. Yep. Keith, do you have any idea who ran for a thousand yards prior to that? I will give Oof. you unlimited guesses and I bet you won't get it. I may. Hold on. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I, I <laughs> he was on the team pretty... back in 1996. He might <laughs> get back this. in my day. Yeah. 
not not including Lam- so Lamar's on no 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 not nah, Lamar nah, nah. no 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 yeah I know you got to watch that firsthand. Uh, this is no, this would have been like when you were getting recruited by Louisville. I'll give you that that hint. Dominique Brown. No, 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 but that's a good yes. guess. It was Bilal Powell. That was Bilal Powell. That was going to be my second guess. In 2009, that was the last time Louisville had had a 1,000-yard so, running back. Was yeah, maybe, maybe not quite when you're getting recruited by Louisville, but pretty yeah, close. Yeah, so maybe when he was like, yeah. in like late middle school, before that growth spurt, you know? <laughs> before that growth Listen, spurt. those are the only two running backs that I know. Bilal <laughs> and Dominique Brown, only two running backs. And besides Brandon Radcliffe, but I knew, I knew that. I wish he would have had a freaking 1,000 yards out how hard he ran when he was here, but yep. connecting the world through Louisville football. Yes. That's what this is all about. But yes. Man. I think I truly think the running backs did their part, man. I, I think at the end of the day, you had a two header running back with Evans um, as well. And he did what he needed to do as far as maybe coming in, being a transfer running hard, you know, besides, you know, maybe some mishaps having 40 yards a game here and there, but um, offensive line definitely should have played better though this year. I think I truly think they should have played a lot better. That's an interesting take. We're going to get into the offensive line specifically here in a minute um, because I do think that they're very much worth talking about. And we'll give out some position grades starting with the running backs. But the other element to the running game, uh, as Vince kind of alluded to, was the the subtraction of running backs sim- simply by week, it felt like. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, Tyon Evans, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think he missed, what, guys, five, six games on the year? I mean, Louisville could have been a completely different team had he played in all of those games. Mm-hmm. Then you're talking about Jalen Mitchell is hurt very early on in the season and then leaves late uh trevion cooley you know looked like he was going to be the guy there for a little bit um but it eventually comes down to jawar jordan mo turner uh and those two guys have you know how this relates to 2023 have really set the foundation for what this team can be and what's really cool about both of them is they could play in a variety of different offenses would y'all would y'all agree with that? I mean, Jawar's going to come in and he's going to have a different role next season. But you talk about a guy who displayed a lot of skills, uh, catching the football, running the football, blocking. I mean, he did everything that you could ask for from your starting running back. And this is a guy that's four string in heading into the season. I mean, what more can you ask for? I think that I mean the catching game is something that you know isn't talked about enough. Those two guys, Jawar Mo, uh, specifically, did an excellent job in the passing game. Something we haven't had for a while. I mean, Hawk wasn't really looked at much in the back uh, in the passing game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rad, even whenever you, you were mm-hmm. playing, Keith wasn't looked at much in the passing game. Uh, you know, just having that threat there uh, in the flats or even just over top of the ball. Uh, mm-hmm. is, is just pivotal and them catching it too. It's mm-hmm. wild. Running backs have the worst hands on the team. It's like the ball goes straight through their hands and hits them right in the face mask every time. I don't know what it is. They can't catch. But uh, well, I think there's I think there's a good opportunity for this actually this running back group, especially with the new ad that they just had the kid from Wisconsin. What's his name? Um Ooh, that's Isaac a name Guerrero. I'm not even gonna try to pronounce. Oh, oh it's I, Isaac Guerrero. Okay. Okay. No, you yes. definitely had that one wrong. Oh, what was it? <laughs> Isaac Guerrendo. So Garendo. confident coming into yeah. there's an in there's an in in there. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm gonna just call him Isaac. Isaac, there you go. Isaac, <laughs> Isaac, Isaac, right. Isaac. Yeah, so I'm gonna just call him Isaac. But with him, especially being in Wisconsin, being a thumper, all right, that can also be your first and second down back, short yardage back guy that need to go and get get you three to four yards, and then you can bring in Gerard, who's really really good, especially a kick returner. But also, well, actually, just real on. quick, Keith, um, yeah. Isaac's actually probably going to be one of the faster players on the team because i know looking at it because i had the same reaction as you looking yeah. at his build because i mean he's what six to 200 plus i'm like okay he's yeah. a third down back he's a short goal line yardage like look at his some of his uh tape from the past season and i know someone in wisconsin i talked to him about it and he said he's one of the fastest players on the team 
Like he's got wheels. Guy? Yeah. Yeah. Like, he's like a wide receiver. Watch him. Watch yeah, him run. I was about I'm to like, say, he, yeah. he had a 1600 yards receiving in high school as a wide receiver. So uh, he's he's definitely you uh, just had to go to Wisconsin. You they uh, don't throw yeah. the ball in Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah, I, I listen. I, I don't I don't know if he was. I, I'm assuming he was a wide receiver recruited as a running back is what I'm what I'm assuming. But something along those yeah, lines. He's, I would have went to the Pac-12 or the Big 12 or something if I had. <laughs> We're about to find out. Some wheels, right? Regardless, it seems like Wisconsin fans are disappointed that that he's leaving because he finally got healthy, looked really good towards the middle of the season for Wisconsin, and then pretty much just hit the portal after the season, and they're kind of pissed about about that situation. So sure. that's that's great for us. Very good for us. But let, let's let's real quickly, eventually, let's go back to to one more storyline that I want to talk about in the running room or in the running back side of things. Now, um, it is more on the quarterback side, so it's Malik Cunningham specifically. But you talk about a guy who ran for 565 yards in 12 touchdowns. I mean, that dude would have probably broken what he had last year in rushing touchdowns had he played mm-hmm. the end of the season as a runner. One of the big storylines into the off se- in the offseason was can, can Malik become more focused on as a passer and run only when it's necessary? We saw early on in the season how that really hurt Louisville, right? When he was trying to force being in the pocket and be a drop back passer, do things he's not. Uh, but what did you think overall of his running this year in terms of um, be, being more calculated, being more uh, focused on making the right play instead of the flashy play? Did you feel like he improved in his final season or? Did you feel like you still saw the same guy who was just, you know, by by nature, just I'm going to just go make the play? Um, I truly think the biggest thing was he had to put his Superman cape on. Right. If you truly think about it. The receiving core itself and the play calling itself with just a post and a deep over and just a flat person. Right. You really didn't have the athletes. If you think about each year that Malik has been there, he's had a different group of receivers. He lost his deep threat, Tyler Harrell, right? He lost um, he lost Tutu Atwell. He lost Des Fitzpatrick, who you can throw the ball up at any point in time to go out and get it, right? He had Jalen Smith when they, back in 20, uh, 2019. You had a bunch of guys in their receiving core who can truly go and go get it. Now you have a bunch of guys, a bunch of smaller guys that run a lot of deep overs. So I think the biggest – I think he did improve as far as maybe staying in the pocket, but it was also times where – the play calling or receivers weren't getting open and he had to kind of do what he had to do. And that's running the football, making a play for himself, AKA Lamar Jackson, his first few years when he first, you know, became who he is now to this day. But I think the biggest deal was he kind of had to do what he had to do. Um, now, of course we can't limit, we, we can, we can bring down the turnovers, the, the, the late balls over the middle, you know, not taking care of the football in the pocket, et cetera. Um, but I think he definitely did improve as far as just, just staying poised in the pocket and at least trying, right? That's the biggest thing. He at least tried to stay in the pocket for the most part. And then when things kind of got a little rough, he had to escape a little bit. So I think he did. I think he tried his time, tried a ton. I, I, you know, I don't know if he improved or if he regressed. I feel like he just kind of stayed even as even as possible when it came to the running game. And it's really, I mean, it's hard for him to improve in that instance coming off you know, 19, 20, and 21. Uh, I mean, it, it people keyed in on him more on those inside zone plays. So you didn't see the, the you. end. Who who has improved on the offense and in that offense? Uh Jawar Jordan. Yeah, Jawar Jordan, definitely. Uh offensive line. 
individually, yeah, I would say so. The line and the running back, we can take that. What about the rest of the core guys? That we That's true. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that? I don't think Malik had much development over the course of that six years he was here. Yeah. I mean, be it with Nick to begin with, uh, you know, Nick isn't a quarterback coach. I don't care what anybody says. He, he, he's <laughs> is, not. He's is just he a not. coach, period? No. Uh, and then he went from Nick to uh, Ponce. Ponce. Yeah. And Ponce is a good quarterback coach, but Ponce is so stuck in his ways where it's your, you know, you're not going to be able to play as yourself within the offense. You're going to take a five-step drop, and that's going to be your five steps. You're not going to take it any other way. And if not, you're going to be doing up-downs for it, right? And then you move to Pete Thomas, who uh, I don't know, might have been too laid back. And at that point, the sixth year for Malik, it's kind of like, I know the offense. What are you going to do much more for me? Uh, And it's unfortunate for him just being here so long. I feel like everybody just – you know, was kind of over it by the end of the year. And uh, he's one of my favorite quarterbacks that we, I mean, that we played with for sure. Uh, and here's the thing that I kind of picked up on with Malik, and we can kind of dissect the various aspects of this game, but it seemed that each game he had about two or three throws where you could sit back and say, okay, that was an NFL caliber throw. Mm-hmm. But then countering that, it seemed like he had the same amount of plays where he made absolutely boneheaded either decisions or throws because it seemed like there were there were moments where he would have overthrows and wide receivers in key or critical situations or if they were just wide open mm-hmm. or he would make a decision like he's you know doing well he's progress going through his reads like progressing the drive and then out of nowhere he'll make a read that is just you 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 look at him you're like what what was he looking at <laughs> and he throws a pick. It it seems like there was always those two, three moments on each end of the spectrum for Malik in each game. Was that something that you kind of picked up on, Keith? Yeah, I, it reminded me of Lamar Jackson. True. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing, it, though, is Lamar really, had more improvement off of his fre- off of his freshman year yes. to his sophomore, and I attest that to the guys that he had in the room with him. I mean, Absolutely. Kyle and. Oh, you know, the other guys, uh, there was a walk-on senior quarterback that was in that room, too. Uh, Ethan was yes. his name. And, yep. But those guys that Lamar had around him was a little bit different than what Malik was, and I believe that Malik and, didn't. Well, I mean, I'll that, say. And, and that well, offense is an NFL offense, which is you see why Lamar is so successful now and what he's doing in the NFL. This I offense, mean, of what happened, this shit can stay in the Big 12. Take that with <laughs> Big 12. <laughs> Lamar's Lamar's arm talent is is next level though. Oh, like I don't sure. think Malik didn't have that arm talent. It like and we we saw he didn't have he was limited in in some of the throws he can make. You know he, even even Brock was to an extent this year. You know he was he was limited. You know if he's if he's throwing you know a, across the field outside the numbers, mm-hmm. it's not going to be it's not going to be arriving at the like he has to throw it as mm-hmm. a timing throw. He's mm-hmm. not he's not, you know, stepping into passes and, and zipping it to, to players. Yeah. So I, I think the other two things you have to factor in when it comes to the, to the quarterback play this year. Number one, we talked about this early in the season. I feel like the what the coaching staff was trying to do to start the season was flawed. We saw this against Syracuse. They tried to keep him leak in the pocket a lot. And we, we really saw him start to blossom when he became his, his true self, mm-hmm. the way that he was towards the end of, of his junior season. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, that was my biggest complaint. And I'm sure Jacob 
uh, remembers me vividly yelling about this at the games, but especially against Florida State. You know, I, I had a lot of uh, I took a, a lot of uh, issue with the way that they called the end of that game. You know, they had multiple chances to to drive to win that game, and they're basically giving Malik one or two reads with no option to run the ball. And I think I think that was that was a mm-hmm. seriously flawed concept, especially when you consider you have no wide receivers that, that can get separation. And that that's the other point that I wanted to get to as well. You know, that Malik did have receivers that that could get open. And not that guys weren't getting open this year, but it's, it was a different is guys that get open that you need a Lamar Jackson to throw to you. You know, it was like a, a Tyler Hudson open is like you throw it in his vicinity and he has a good catch radius. So he's going to. You know, he, he's going to be able to bring balls down. But you, an Amari Huggins, Bruce, he still has to he still has to more work towards those timing throws. Uh, so I, I think there's just a difference in, in the way that that they were calling plays. And, and it wasn't playing to his strengths, especially early in the season. I feel like they didn't play to, to what Malik's strengths were. And that's running the football. And, you know, on those deep crossing routes, those are those are timing plays more than anything. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's. I think that's something important to keep in mind that I just feel like it was a conglomeration of things. You didn't have the wide receiver talent. The play calling wasn't wasn't there. And Malik, you know, it, it just it wasn't utilizing what what he brought to the table the best. Mm-hmm. And that that was the disappointing part to me. And when the offense started to turn, you know, as the season season progressed, they played more off the running game and they allowed Malik to use his feet more often. So. I thought that that was that was the big turning point in the season. Final thing on the running backs, position grades real quick. We don't need to go in. We've explained ourselves in a lot of ways, but for the sake of putting this together quickly, let's put some grades out there for the running backs. For me specifically, um, I'm going to go a minus because of the fact that when you're looking at that position as a whole, even if you include Malik Cunningham, they produced when they were called upon, they carried that offense. There was no passing offense outside of Tyler Hudson. This offense was all about the run game. And finally, they figured out how to call it in most situations. There was a lot where they couldn't. But overall, I felt like these guys did what they needed to, like Keith, like you said, when they were called upon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for, for me, it, for me, it's an A. It's, you know, there, there were a lot of aspects that we all took issues with this season on offense from beginning to end. But the one consistent component was the running back room was always great, no matter who it was. And I thought that that was that was awesome, regardless of, of quality of opponent. Uh, the running backs always found a way to get it done, whether it was Clemson and Kentucky or or South Florida. So that was that was really, really positive for me to see. You know, I, I thought that there was just a lot of talent in that running back stable. And you saw the fourth and fifth string, quote unquote, running backs to start the season, finished out the season. And they were just as strong as, as the first three or four games. I'm going to go with an A just basically for the same reasons you said. I mean, just look at every other aspect of the offense. Yeah, you know, inconsistency between quarterbacks. I mean, you'll go on from one quarterback to the next, one quarterback to the next because of injuries. Uh, wide receivers, they had their own issues with sometimes not getting separations. Tight ends, there was only really March on forward in terms mm. of the passing game. And then the offensive line, while still good, I think we can all come to the consensus that they were kind of underperformed this year. And then – you have the running backs who every and you take into account everything I just said, they still averaged over 200 yards a game, had a top 25 rushing offense. So given all that I just said, how could they not be an A if you ask me? 
I'm going with the B just because I would have liked to have seen a little bit more blocking. And I mean, sad had a, he's a, coming from the fullback. Was, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, I got the, but I mean, and I mean, Tyon, in my opinion, should have been a, a 1000 yard rusher. And uh, I don't, I don't really understand his thought process on protecting his quote unquote dress stock when, you know, everybody knows you as an injury-prone running back. You'd think you'd want – and Keith, you know, being in the NFL, that's not good. That's not something you want coming into the league being labeled as. So, uh, you know, toughness-wise, I'm going B, too. Yeah, I might be with you. I might be with the B. I think there's no way in hell we shouldn't have had a 1,000-yard rusher. I, no matter what, yeah. four years, three years Satterfield has been here, there's no way in hell we should have a – we should not have a 1,000-yard rusher. No way in hell. All right, talking about the offense from a passing perspective, it was scary hours this year for all the wrong reasons. Uh, because back then, <laughs> there wasn't a quarterback on the roster who could make the throws that you needed to win football games in a year when you needed a quarterback to win you games late. Uh, quite frankly, this is a 10-win football team by every number outside of the passing offense. They had a, an incredible defense. They blocked when they needed to. They ran the football. They scored. They sustained drives. Um, but the passing was putrid and it's not just Brock Doman. Okay. Let's give credit to where credit is due. Brock did his thing uh, coming in against Virginia and really saving the day for Louisville when they needed it. Uh, but as you saw throughout the season, his team's got film, not good, not good at all. Not the guy you want out there on the field when you're an ACC team competing at in really big games, but, but Keith and guys, they know this from, from all season, hearing me bitch about this. I thought the single biggest story for Louisville football this year outside of that defense was the regression of Malik Cunningham. And I mean that in the basic throws that you expected to be made. I can go back and pinpoint some passes. These guys, can, we've, we argued about it throughout the year. I thought he costed this team games by not making basic throws. Uh, and in a lot of situations where a guy who is a six-year senior You'd think he'd be making those throws. Um, but overall, the big difference in this team was the, the deep ball, okay? Uh, here are the numbers from Malik Cunningham, courtesy of one Matt McGavin. Outside left on the far deep sideline, two for 10. Between the numbers and the deep part of the field, two for 11. To the outside right, he did his thing, 50%, six of 12. You had no consistent deep threat. And everything else from Malik, they took away because they knew he couldn't do it. And and when they did give passes to him, I felt like he uh, was in his own head. At times we talked about him sticking his foot in the bucket. The footwork was horrible. These throws were just – I don't know who taught him to throw like that. It was more of just trying to make the play. But I felt like this – for the first time you can pinpoint in his career where I think that he should have been better. I think in a lot of points he's really carried Louisville football. The interceptions in 2020 were one thing. Uh, but this season, from a passing perspective, it just was, in my opinion, a letdown from what I thought we were going to get starting the season. And if you ask me, I don't even think it was all his fault. I mean, I mean given all the reasons you just listed, yeah, there, he shares some of the blame. But a lot of the play calling, I mean, it seems like we're beating a dead horse for the umpteenth time over the f- last four years talking about football in the Satterfield era. But. A lot of the times, just the, the the simple scheming of the passing game was what was not there. It, it took until what the Virginia game when they put Brock Doman in the game yeah, to actually really have saw. an intermediate to have an intermediate passing game. Yeah, at all it, it it all it all seemed like it was a, either chuck it deep or like hope there's a check down. There was like no 
in between at all. And it took until they had to put in a different quarterback completely for them to incorporate that. And then when Malik came, they it seemed like they almost took that away at times. I'm, there's three things, three components with Malik. One, I blame coaching. Reason why I blame coaching, I blame position coaching. I don't blame the office coordinator. I don't blame the head coach. I blame position coaching on that. There is no way in hell that Malik can't set his feet, can't take the proper drop, can't take the proper steps to deliver football on outside numbers. Malik is a six-year guy. You had three position coaches at one time in six years that you that you've been there. I blame I blame position coaches. I also I don't want to give him no excuses. So, which is my second point is. You have to take it upon yourself to watch film. You have to take it upon yourself to watch those guys that are in the NFL and how they plant their foot. Or you have a buddy of Lamar Jackson. You got a buddy of guys in the NFL to where you can take pointers from and maybe you can implement that to your game while also taking coaching from your position coach. And then you decide between the two. Um, like I said, I don't want to give no excuses. The third point is I'm going to always go back to the guys that we had in our room in 2013 and 2017. We had some dudes in that receiving core, which made Teddy's job easier, Kyle's job easier, Reggie Bonifant's job easier. Um, um, Lamar was job, Will in there too. Will, Will, Gardner. Will Gardner's job easier, right? We he had was there some, so long. He was, there, he was there for like seven years. <laughs> Keith was doing six years before it was cool, man. <laughs> Absolutely, but he had some dudes. When I mean my dudes, I'm not meaning like. I'm not meaning like the, the the second string guys. You had a set of eight receivers that you can go run four streak routes back to back to back, and then you bring a second group in, and they can do the exact same thing with the exact same tempo, exact same way, right? So that's that's my thing. I I, I blame just I truly just blame coaching on maybe his regression, but I think he truly just stayed the same. To be honest with you, I, I here, think he, he was here, here's an interesting stat for you. Okay, if you guys remember back in 2019, one of the stats that made Malik Cunningham kind of nationally famous was the the pocket passing statistic when you were kept clean, right? He was third in the country behind guys like Jalen Hurts, Joe Burrow, Tua Tagovailoa, like the big name quarterbacks, right? This season with a clean pocket. Now these numbers take into account both quarterbacks. So this may be not so much a Malik Cunningham thing. Five interceptions this season with a clean pocket. Okay. And they threw how many interceptions did Louisville football throw on the season? I, some reason don't have that number pulled up, but it was, I think like 13 or 14 overall. So you're talking about a pretty 12. decent number, 12 interceptions, yeah. five of Braden them. Smith coming. has one. That's true. Uh, but five yeah. of them coming with a clean pocket like that to me, coaching is part of that, being able to read a, a defense and be able to get the ball out to the wide receivers. But part of that is on the quarterback. And, and I just saw too many times this season, like Matt said, the strategy, my first read's not there, or, or maybe my first read is my only read. So I'm just going to chuck it up. I, we'll figure it out later. And it turned, it, it turned into turnovers for Louisville this season. In fact, Louisville was at, at one of the teams, according to outside uh, football outsiders with one of the offensive, one of the highest offensive turnover rates in the country or somewhere in the mid nineties. So, and going back to Keith's point, I mean, going up and chucking up is one thing when you have like a two, two Atwell or a Tyler Harrell, mm -hmm. like good <laughs> guys like that. But I mean, early on, they tried to make D Wiggins that, We'll never know how it turned out because he ended up having his injury. Now he's at Cincinnati, but there wasn't a true over the top deep threat on this team. And 
you can tell like in, in every one of the last three years prior to that, there was, there was one, I mean, there was either two, two or Tyler. And then you have a year where they don't have that guy who can just almost every time just run a nine route, go over the top of the safety's head. And you saw what that did to the overall passing game. Of course, that's not the end all be all, but it played a factor. Now, yep. Amari, Amari Huggins, Bruce is your, is your deep threat guy, but he's not a deep threat guy in a Satterfield offense where it's going to be straight overs and just he's not really an outside the numbers like deep guy. He he's gonna he's gonna make a move. He's he runs of he in needs. my opinion he he's got a great you know route tree, a lot of tools in the toolbox as we like to say. Uh, and he's a complimentary guy. Yes, one hundred percent. And and part of that's on. Well, let me tell you what Jeff Brom did in the portal. (laughs) You just made a great point. I had this statistic ready just in case. But you talk about being able to throw in between the numbers and Louisville only looking to do that. Eight out of their 12 interceptions were throws between the numbers this season. Oh, my God. Defenses knew it was coming. I mean, come on, man. You did it for three straight years. You had to think eventually a defense was going to say, you know what? They don't throw to the sideline very often. Well, and, and to to your point too, it seems like the only throws to the sideline were those back shoulder plays, and they were, were beautiful. That were one read by worked. design, and those were great. Time. Those Vince did called work. that out during the season. Why don't we do yeah. that more often? And Malik's, I think, two best throws of the season were back shoulder throws, if I'm not mistaken. I remember he one threw. of them was a touchdown to Amari that was just like, oh my god, get this dude an NFL contract now, <laughs> oh <my God>. man. <laughs> he, <laughs> he was like, come on, man, that's what we've been waiting for. <laughs> He needs to work. Uh, Keith hit on it a little bit. Fundamentally, though, Jacob, you touched on it, too. We touched on it all throughout the season. Uh, his footwork just isn't there. It's not at an NFL caliber uh, quarterback. Malik doesn't know how to navigate the pocket well. Uh, he can get away. He can avoid defenders well. He can scramble great. But in terms of being able to step up into the pocket or step left, step uh, step right, laterally, keeping your shoulders square downfield, eyes downfield, and being able to deliver the ball, it's just you know not up to an NFL caliber, which I'm sure, I'm sure that's what he's going to be working on this offseason. Oh, for sure. Going into the draft. I think once he gets someone passionate enough to kind of help him to deliver that you would definitely see a, a change, especially on his pro day of what this looks like. Um, I think being prime focused for four months straight of just grinding and honing in on, oh, I'm, I need to be able to get my, get my, get my family out of here, make some money, get in the NFL is what my dream of this is what I can do. I need to be able to do that. And I think there's a chance for him um, to do that as well. He just had to take full advantage of it. Yeah. Also he- my four point, to compliment those receivers, the tight end room fucking sucked. Sorry, excuse me. Oh, my God. All right, hold on to that. Hold on I'm, to that. Hold on to that. Please don't we're, get me started on that. We're going to get there because Vince has a complete opposite thought. So we're going to get I there did. in a minute. I'm excited for this. Please. I'm excited I, for this. So hold on to please. that for just a few minutes because that is a great, that's a great way to segue into talking about tight ends. Here Clip that. But here's my final thing. We'll hand out grades for the quarterback room, but here's my final thing on, on this position specifically. Um, each year, it just felt like it was like, okay, the 2019, you have the great passing offense, but your defense sucks. 2020, your defense is better and your passing offense, just they throw the, the ball away like it's nothing. I mean, just interception after interception. 2021, you're back to kind of defense is really good at times. Passing offense is really good at times. Offense is really good, but no one's consistent, right? In 2022, it was set up to where if Louisville just sustained the passing offense of 2021, they win 10 games. That's simple. They have one of the best defenses in the country. 
Louisville sustains their passing offense from 2021. Louisville wins 10 games. They win that Boston College, and they win that Florida State game. Those two games are all the difference right there. Now, it doesn't matter because Scott Satterfield's probably still here if they do that. So the conversation is a moot point. <laughs> but my point being, the quarterback room, in my opinion, they failed this team. They failed this team, and that's not fair to them to pin that on them because there's a lot more than that, as Keith and, and everyone has pointed out here. But if those guys are just even slightly better, it's a different Louisville football team. So for me, when you're looking at the grades, uh, there's a number of different reasons to be to be high on them, but I am going to give them a C- minus because Malik Cunningham was supposed to be an NFL quarterback. We talked about him potentially being – I mean, there was a draft that had him in the first round. And now that's the guy that, remember that might find himself, you know, not that this is a bad thing, but he might find himself playing and in, in, say the XFL and, and needing some time to develop. I mean, he's just not at the point we thought he would be. And that's for a number of reasons. So I'm going to go C minus shout out to Brock Doman though, winning those games when you needed him. <laughs> I'm going I'm, D minus. I, th- I, I, you know, Malik did uh, just about, he, I think he capped out at this school on things he could have done. Uh, like Keith has highlighted, like we've highlighted, it's a lot to do with coaching and the people around him uh, with him. Who knows what he could have been with proper coaching. And I'm excited to see uh, what he does this off season. Cause this is it. There's no more going, no more shots after, you know, you do your, your pro day and all that other stuff. That's it. So uh, we'll see. I'm going to go with uh, I'm going to go with the C minus. And the reason it's not lower is because Malik Cunningham ran for 560 yards and 12 touchdowns. Yeah. If you're talking about the quarterbacks just passing alone, maybe barely a passing grade, no pun intended. (laughs) Uh, Just, I mean, it was, it's the the most, the most disappointing, the most disappointing position group. Uh, of the of the season, and I mean, maybe Keith's going to go in about <laughs> why, why the, the tight ends, ends but, I'm so but uh, for I this. mean, to me, like is, when you have a six year quarterback, you expect to have a leader. You expect to have somebody that's that's making obvious steps forward. And like, I didn't feel like and again, I know we, we'll get into the wide receivers, but like I, I felt like you needed a leader. You needed somebody who is going to be able to, to step up and, and, and do their job. And you didn't get that from the quarterbacks this season. And, and it hurts me to say that because I love Malik. Like I, I loved Brock, but like ultimately that's what like Jacob has insinuated, you know, that's what cost you the season. The defense, and we'll get into that too, was incredible this year. So I, I mean, that's that's kind of where I stand on that. If they weren't if they weren't decent running the ball at the quarterback position, then I don't know if, if you even get a passing grade. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna go with a solid C. Just basically kind of rehashing all the previous points with Malik. I mean, he did some good stuff. He did some great stuff, especially with his legs. But then you sprinkle in some not so great stuff, whether that be by his own fault or coach's fault. And then even with Brock, I mean, he did win the Virginia game. He did win the NC State game. But red flags came up in that NC State game. And then by the time the Kentucky game came, they had film on him, and he looked bad. Like the film was out on him, like the film was out on Evan Conley. I give it a B. Only reason why I give it a B is because Malik did again what he had to do with the people that he had to, that he had on his team. But if you take Malik Cunningham off this team, this team does not win eight games. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No, no, not even close. Not, not even close. Right. So, but I give it to Brock as a backup quarterback. You did what you were supposed to do. You went what? what two and two this season. As a backup, yep. 
I think. No, I think it was three and one. I was going to say, I think it's three, three and one. one actually. You, you had a better backup one. quarterback career. Hammer, Cow, Cow Bowl. Cow, absolutely. Cow beat Kentucky, man. For sure. But the thing is, as a backup quarterback, you're supposed to come in and do that. Yeah. AKA, which is why Teddy Bridgewater and a bunch of these backup quarterbacks in NFL, you sit out for being a backup. You come in, you're supposed to be back. You're supposed to keep your team up above 500. Well, right. I, I would I would you counter with this when you say if you didn't have Malik, then then, you know, maybe they win five or six games or something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. But by the same token, I would also say if you had take an average ACC quarterback and put him in Louisville's quarterback room, uh, what's the most average ACC quarterback this year? Sam Hartman? I don't know. Uh, average, average. Uh, Sam Hartman. Sam, Sam Hartman's a product of his system. We'll get in. We can get into that another time. But, uh, but uh, I don't Somebody know. What, like, uh, uh, like what's what's Matt? We'll find name? out next year, won't we? Phil Jerkovich. Yeah. We will. We will. Phil Jerkovich. Phil yeah. Jerkovich. Yeah. My okay, boy so, Phil. <laughs> so if you take Matt's guy, Phil Jerkovich, and puts him in Louisville system, does Louisville win eight games? No. Like, that's fuck no. No. That's no. the way. I, that's the way I quit it. Maybe no. maybe they don't. But Malik Malik was accounted for 9,600 passing yards, yeah, and 4,000 rushing yards in his six year career. And Malik is probably the most winningest quarterback in Louisville history. You take Malik off of the quarterback room number one spot these last six years, they don't make it. No, that's seven games. No, yeah. but we can still all agree that this season, when you're when your defense plays the way that it should, he's just slightly better, and it means a lot of difference in what the end of the season looks like. All right. Let's talk about the tight end room because oh. uh, this, I'm excited yeah, for this. I'm excited. For this. I'm excited for this. Yeah, just, just lead off with Keith. <laughs> yeah. I, before I, I hand the microphone over, uh, it would, I would not be doing my job correctly if I didn't just hand the microphone over and let the tight, the former tight end talk about the tight ends, but let me just give some stats here. Marshawn Ford does finish second in receiving on this team with 33 receptions and 434 yards, three touchdowns. He finished first in receiving, if I'm not mistaken, in 2021. So not necessarily the the first year in 2019 where he scores seven touchdowns and, you know, he does all these these big numbers things to make you think he's going to be destined for greatness. But he does improve year to year with just being an all around better player. Right. But here's after that, where it gets, a, it, things kind of fall off your next tight end on um, the statistic chart, Dwayne Martin, one catch 22 yards. After that, Francis Sherman, who started uh, him and Des Melton split. I, I would say 50, 50 starting games this season. Francis Sherman had one catch for 13 yards. Uh, shout out to our boy, our from the pink seats, uh, uh, NIL athlete, Isaac Martin, but one catch, Two catches, 11 yards, uh, and a touchdown. And a touchdown. And a touchdown. Josh Lifson, one catch, nine yards, and a touchdown. Des Melton. You talk about the biggest disappointment on, on the team. Des Melton might be the biggest disappointment on this football team. One catch for eight yards as a redshirt sophomore who's supposed to develop. And you, remember, you guys remember what, what Ian said before the season? He had all the tools to be the next big tight end for Louisville. So, Keith, let's hear it, man. What we got? <laughs> Sorry. Shout out to Marshawn Ford, though, for taking his opportunity and running with it. I'm talking about full speed sprint. Grateful for him. Former walk on earned scholarship guy. Number two tight end here in Louisville freaking history. Receptions, receiving yard touchdowns. Freaking phenomenal. I'm taking him out the picture. That tighter room's got awful. <laughs> Just flat out. I For me, 
to and this goes to Malik and this also goes to this coaching staff. If Malik doesn't, ha- he had the players, the guys to on the outside to make something happen. But if your tight end room isn't productive at all, there was no way in hell that you were able to be successful in a room. If you think about all the quarterbacks that Lamar had, even myself, I wasn't, I was an average tight end. But my my sophomore, my junior year, I was very productive with the guys we had in our room. Right. My senior year, you had Cole Hickettini, who had 40 catches for eight, 700 some yards, 11 touchdowns, whatever it looks like. But you also had a receiving core who could do what they had to do. James Quick, Jamar Staples, you know, whatever that looks like as well. But I think the biggest thing for, to, in order to help Malik out, he needed a tight end room to help out. Marshawn Ford can only do so much. Marshawn is I'm not trying to talk about the man's height, but he's. Decent size. I can't, I don't know how tall he is. Maybe six, about six, six foot, six, two, six, two. He gets to the NFL. He's going to be a move H back fullback. Remind you of freaking Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, Cam Hayward's brother, 83, yeah, uh, yeah, Basham, yeah. the kid from Buffalo, Morris. He's going to remind you of a move guy H back. But if you think about all those guys in the NFL, you have a complimentary tight end. Where do we, we didn't have no complimentary tight end. If you think about, for us, Cole Hickettini and myself, we were two common tight ends. If Cole went out, you knew for sure I can I can get it done on a productivity aspect. But the past few years, we haven't had any productivity outside of Marshawn in that second in that second tight end group. So it, you, it play play with, you play with you play with Stanberry? Weren't you and Charles? Oh, yeah, even okay. better. Yeah, yeah I was gonna better. say that's a good combo right there. I remember you even, to, yeah. even better. Charles Stanberry, us three guys. Oh, there was no way in hell if the receivers couldn't get it done, you knew for damn sure us three us three can get it done. To go back into the vault of earlier in the season, there was an episode where I, I pointed out to you guys, there's plays where Louisville has two guys on the field as pass catchers that you know they're not getting the ball. You know the ball is not, you know, again, shout it's out to my boy Isaac. Isaac's not getting the ball, and, and Josh List and Francis Sherman, Des Melton aren't getting the ball. So then you're talking about, again, it just makes the job easier for the defense of being able to cue in on those skill position players. And when Satterfield talks about these guys aren't getting separation, it's not telling the full story of what's going on on the offensive play. Because, again, Keith just pointed out, you got you got two guys that are really not doing anything other than being uh, sixth and seventh offensive linemen, essentially, in this offense. So, Presley, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, and just to, to chime in on that as well, Back in the day, man, y'all had there's some ballers on those Bobby teams. Uh, Gerald Christian was another one. I mean, like there, like the Charles Stanberry. Like I always forget about Charles Stanberry, but uh, do you remember the then, back the back of the end zone touchdown catch from Charles Stanberry? I think it was his first career touchdown. Miami. Man. It was a, it yes. was the first first game yes. at ACC against Miami, the blackout night. Yes. Uh, and then uh, the, the the other guy that that comes to mind. I mean, what was the guy's name that was a baller that that had to leave the team? Oh, Kamari oh, Avery. Yeah. Kamari no, Avery. So wow, man, that's a but, name from the past right there. It's wow. it's been a second since since Louisville's had a guy like a Jamari Johnson, which you know, we have all summer to talk about my boy Jamari Johnson. But number one Jamari uh, Johnson fan. Yeah, number one Jamari Johnson fan. That's <laughs> that should always be my username. Uh, so so here's what I'll say about the tight end position. I, I agree with Keith in the aspect of uh, as pass catchers that are that are actually, you know putting a hand in the ground on the line, you know, they, there was not a lot of productivity. Uh, I will say, you know, we're kind of group and, and Satterfield's teams kind of grouped in the fullbacks and the tight ends, like almost indistinguishable, you know, Marshawn Ford was considered like a starting H back. Right. Yeah. 
So, right. so it, it's it's kind of hard to distinguish between the two. <laughs> I will say, as run blockers, Dwayne Martin, Francis Sherman, uh, who am I missing? Josh Lifson, Josh, Des Melton, Isaac, yeah, and and, and, and I, Isaac Martin. That's the like, one. Right. Yeah. So here's the thing, Keith. You're right. The production from them, not good. But if you go back and you put that film on and you grade Isaac and those boys from the special teams to what they do from a blocking perspective, it's an A. It's an oh, A. How many sure. how many how many runs did we celebrate late in the season because Isaac just ran somebody the F over? Like yeah, it, it's what made this offense uh, sustainable in a winning offense this season. It's guys yeah, doing I don't bad. I don't know where you're you're not gonna find an Isaac Martin left on this roster. I'll tell you that. So like kind of, kind of combining both your points. I mean, and for the fault, the scheme of the offense, like the tight ends are, we, I mean, are mostly used in for blocking and from a blocking perspective, they more than did their job. They, you know, kind of did the dirty work. They were excellent blockers, but to Keith's point, someone in this group, has to be a more has to be a somewhat consistent pass catcher that's not named Marshawn Ford. Someone has to be when Ford goes out and a guy goes in to replace him. Defense is looking at him and say, "Oh yeah, he's he's not catching it." I mean, I, lo- I love Isaac Martin, but he ain't Marshawn Ford. Some <laughs> right, s- someone in this look one person, and there's been several tight ends go in and out of this room since Satterfield got there. One of those guys had to have some semblance of, you know, an ability to catch the ball. It, but that's it, that's just me. It it truly blows. And I I love the blue collar aspect. That's what a tight end is supposed to do. You are supposed to do the dirty work. That's why you put on your hard hat. You bring your freaking lunch pail and you put on steel toe boots. You are supposed as a tight end. This is what you're supposed to do. It's the hardest position on the field. I'm not biased to that. I'm just at it straight up. Tight end is the hardest position on the field. You have to learn to plays like an offensive lineman. You also got to block like you also got to catch the ball and learn to plays like a freaking receiver. And you also got to know what the quarterback is. Guess what? You are the quarterback's blanket. Yep. If you need something, you are the quarterback's blanket. But outside of that, you take Marshawn out the game. Defensive coaches are like, great, cool. I only have to focus on two guys, two or three guys, and that's it. That's all I have to worry about. I know he's going to do this job. I know he's going to do his job. I know he's going to run block. I know he's going to do that, but if there's no productivity in, in the passing game, how, how are you supposed to get the, the deep overs and the deep post and the, and the shallow crosses across the field, but your tight end, the second tight end when Marshawn goes out, the goes out the game is, is very limited. So I don't, I, I, I just think it's, I blame, I blame recruiting. Yeah. Well, and, and just to add in as well. So well, number one, you bring up a great point with recruiting. Marshawn was a walk on. They are all walk-ons. They are Every all walk-ons. one of them besides Dwayne except Martin for Des, and Des. Except for Des Melton. That's and Dwayne it. Martin. Those are the only, Dwayne two, Martin. Okay. the only two non-walk-on players so, in that room. That's so bad. you look at Marshawn should have been – like he should have been your second leading receiver. This, he, he was, but he should have had way more than 434 and three touchdowns. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason that he didn't, in my opinion, is, is what Keith said, is there wasn't a complimentary guy. So there's – there's pretty much nothing to take your attention away from Marshawn Ford. You shouldn't have a tight end uh, in your offense that that's drawing as much attention as he was. Well, and that's so right. that, you know, that's a, you, that's a major know, issue. Do you know what, what uh, Marshawn did to take the focus off of himself? Can we, can we all collectively say high school Harry together, right? At one, oh, two, yeah, three he, high school, high school Harry. Harry. That's right. What's that's that, what Harry? that is. 
Oh man, <laughs> do you want me to explain this, or should Vince should I try to take a stab at this? It's, uh, it's a bluff block. Yeah, it's a bluff block, man. It's just so, that you're, I mean, you yeah. act like you're gonna give him one right in the chest, but you those outside like, zone, those outside zone plays. He's reading outside linebacker yes. and he's going to yeah, he bluffs. So yes, yeah. all but all not, season long we called that the uh, the high school Harry. That's what Brew. That's what Coach Brewer used to call it. Gunner Brewer, the old wide receiver. But my thing with this group, right, and my grade for them is an A. I give this group, I give this room an A, and uh, my reasoning behind that is like you guys have said. Uh, has said uh, they're great, great in the blocking. I mean, mm-hmm. outside zone standpoint, uh, guys mm-hmm. set edges. Uh, Marshawn was awesome. Uh, Isaac sprung plenty of these long runs. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the passing game, I don't think these guys were utilized enough. Uh, I blame more coaching and Malik than I do the players themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dwayne Martin was a finalist for Mr. Football in South Carolina. I mean, in, in all reality, he should be a better ball player than Ford was as a sophomore or a junior. I mean, which I mean, he has just as much skill. Why would you not utilize him as such? Uh, you know, Isaac doesn't have the best hands. So why put him in on these passing downs when you can utilize Dwayne and Marshawn at the same time and legitimately have two passing threats out there mm-hmm. instead of saying, oh, Marshawn's tired. Let me throw Dwayne in now. You know what I mean? Have both of them out there on the field at the same time. And I don't think Malik necessarily trusted, nor did he look enough for these other guys. I mean, there were plenty of times where, you know, a Francis Sherman would be open for five yards. Why would you not take those five yards? That's always been the knock with Malik is he throws too many picks and he throws the ball deep too much. and He's throwing BS up. Mm -hmm. He's never looked for the check down guy. He's never looked in the flats for your running back. That's been our big harp on him since I've hopped on this show, Keith, is he never looked in the flats. And that's why mm-hmm. Jacob will say to this day, Jamie Hawkins did not get drafted. That's true. But I've got a stat for you. In the flat, at least if you're talking about going sideline to sideline, Malik threw four passes this year, sideline to sideline, my, my behind point, the my, line of scrimmage. That is my, an offensive flaw from the coaching right there. My point, go ahead. So, so think about this in the red zone. We all bitched about the red zone and how – mundane and not creative and boring the red zone offense was well if you go back and watch the film in 2019 we were running things uh before Marshawn Ford was this big blown up name we were running things with two tight ends where it was uh they called the formation dagger Keith where it's a pistol set and they have uh, two tight ends the H-backs on both sides of the quarterbacks right Mm -hmm. and I mean they run the inside zone based off that so he can either give it if the end if the end plays uh Malik and the option guys Mm -hmm. or I mean if he crashes down he's handing it off right the playoff that is Malik's you know almost wanting to go towards that end because now he has two options. He can either hit Mar- hit Marshawn on that first option or hit that other guy coming around on the second spot. And I don't think we ran enough of those plays in the red zone with motions off of them behind them, those flyback mm-hmm. motions where, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we could have Amari Huggins-Bruce in the backfield for uh, those – not screen pass, but the pitch almost. Right. Uh, it's just so – I basically feel like the tight ends were underutilized. I don't think it was more on them. Should they have done more in the passing game to get open? Yeah, I'm sure they should have. Mm-hmm. But I put a lot of it on the coaches. I, I really do. I was going to say, I'm going to give it a C plus. Reason that I, I'm not a little bit higher on it is similar to Malik. You know, with, with, with Marshawn being your primary target, I, I expected a lot more production out of him this season. We talked about why that really didn't come to fruition. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think as playmakers, you need a lot. You needed a lot more production from this offense than basically 500 yards of of 
receiving from the, from the tight ends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with a C plus. I mean, the only reason it's not lower is because Marshawn Ford. Now, granted, he probably could have been more productive, but that's probably more so due to scheme and other various factors and whatnot. And like like I said earlier, I mean, they they did great when it came to like serving their roles in the offense as it pertains to blocking. But someone else has got to catch the ball consistently. Someone's got to. So I'm I'm going to go with C plus. Yeah, and I'm I, not to pile on. I mean, I think that they could have done much more, but they blocked right. That's the thing for me. They those guys were asked to block. And that's what they did. And Marshawn could have could have done more, but he did enough to be uh, obviously the second leading receiver. So I'm going to go B minus. I think that that capsulates a lot of it, but they definitely should have been better, man. Should have been better. All right, let's move on uh, quickly here to the wide receivers, the position um, that Scott Satterfield liked to, I think, personally criticize the most this season. Um, you do with that what you will, but a guy <laughs> talking about each week, these guys can't separate. We can't get the you know, we can't get anybody open. Well, you know, like I said, I don't think that necessarily tells the full story. You do, however, get a 1,000-yard receiver, just the second 1,000-yard receiver since 2007. Keith, do you know who the 1,000-yard receiver was in 2007? Oh, I love this game, man. Quizzing former Louisville football players Can I I get two two answers? You You do your thing, man. You need a hint? I got you. Whatever you need. Of course, I'm gonna say nah. Wasn't no. Don't say D. I was gonna say Dion. Dion was way before that time. Yeah, Dion uh, Mario, was Ma- Mario. You reading? No, but you're close. His teammate, good. Harry Douglas. Man, okay. I was I was gonna say as one that's of those a good two. guess though, man. Yeah, that's, that's a really a good guess. guess. Yeah, but you had uh, we talked about this uh, a lot during in the off season of um, you know you have Tyler Hudson come in. And he brings to an offense a lot of what like a guy like Jamari Staples did. Right. But the reason why Tyler Hudson had the big numbers that Jamari didn't have is because Lamar also had other guys that he could throw the ball to this year from the wide receiver standpoint, it was really Tyler Hudson or bust. I mean, honestly, uh, I mentioned before that you have your tight end finish second in receiving. uh, But then after that, it's a steep drop off, man. You got 365 yards from Amari Huggins, Bruce, Braden Smith only gives you 215 yards. And then after that, you have Jalen Carter and Chris Bell. And then there's really not much else. Now, injuries played a role in D, in D. Wiggins not really having a ton of numbers. Um, and then obviously, you know, other guys just didn't see the field. Josh Johnson, Chance Morrow. But um, the receivers, I, I know you don't have your big play guy, but I just expected much more out of this group uh, that included so many veterans. I mean, quite honestly, they just weren't good enough in a lot of ways. It, it, it's hard to say that you expected one because one narrative heading into the season was that someone needs to step up out of this group. And technically, Tyler Hudson was the guy that stepped up. But then you look at the guys behind him and it was kind of a who's who of, OK, who's going to who's going to step up here? You No. OK. You the, re- no, the rest man. of the wide receivers didn't even combine to have as many catches as Tyler Hudson. The rest of the receivers right. didn't even have 69 I, catches between them. I was extremely disappointed in the lack of usage that Amari Huggins Bruce got because he's displayed his his flashes of potential on numerous times over the last couple of years. And the staff just kind of didn't treat him like he's a, a good option or a solid option in this passing game. That's the one that pisses me off the most, Matt, is them underutilizing Amari Huggins-Bruce. There's no reason that, I mean, God, it's like it's just going back to what I was saying with the tight ends. It's 
It's on coaching and not putting the guys in the right situation to succeed. Like, just put him and give him the ball and put him in space. Scheme him up. Like, just do something. I I mentioned this just a few minutes ago. You talk about the screens outside behind the line of scrimmage. I, I would count probably five to seven games, maybe even more, where teams did that eight plus times to Louisville. Louisville didn't even do that four times on the entire. They did that four times on the entire season. Throw screens behind the line of scrimmage to wide receivers. I, I'm certainly not Sean McVay. I mean, we saw what the tunnel line, screens did against Louisville in the Kentucky game. We saw what they did against Louisville in the Syracuse game. I mean, it, it's all season long. That's been one of Louisville's biggest bugaboos was tackling those and stopping those behind the line of scrimmage. But I mean, when you have a, a group of uh, the Keith, let me ask you this as a coach who, who coaches on the offensive side and having, I'm sure working with offensive coordinators, they're asking you, what do we need to do from a game planning standpoint to get these guys open? You would come to them and you say, look, we don't got a lot of speed. Okay. Right. Tyler Hudson, he, he can just, he can run and he can get open, but it's mostly because he's smart and he's got great hands. Uh, Chris Bell looks like a, like a truck out there running at wide receiver. He's a young kid. He can get, you got to get him the ball, but you got to do it the right way. Amari Huggins, Bruce fast. You would come to them and you would say, we need to do something to get them the ball to let them make plays, or we need to adjust to get them the ball. Satterfield talked all season about how they couldn't get separation and never did anything about it. Maybe stop running long routes. I don't know. Uh, Maybe that's what you do. But as a coach, does that not frustrate you when you see so much skill, but you see them just not even being remotely utilized? That's like putting 95-year-old Sally at Walmart, who should be a greeter, at the cash register. It didn't make sense, right? You know what I mean? And about the stickers. (laughs) Right. Sally should be handing out the stickers at the door when you come in, not at the cash mm-hmm. register. Mm-hmm. So there's there's three things when I think of this. One, I think it takes a very, 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 very creative offensive coordinator with the roster that he has to get two individuals to football. When you are a run-heavy zone offensive coordinator and you are a play-action post-deep-over type of guy it takes so it you takes a creative type of guy to do so Satterfield of course wasn't in because the and, and the unproductivity of Amari Huggins Bruce Tyler Hudson of course even though he had a thousand yards we had he had to get it where he had to get it at he only had two touchdowns that's right, crazy that's, right so it takes a very very creative guy but you also got to think about that running back room was deep the yeah. offensive line room was deep which is why it was a lot of productivity in the offensive line and running back room Secondly, is with that being said, with the productivity in the receiving group as an offensive coordinator, you need to be able to put your guys in situations to be successful. AKA, if Amari Huggins Bruce is, a, is an outside receiver, you need to have a formation to put him in a slot because sometimes they don't press the slot. The slot normally has a free release to go do whatever he wants to do. AKA, James Quick. That's his money all day, Keith. That's like that's it was, Ted T right there. That James Quick, right? Um, Braden Smith, you also need to put him, treat him like Tutu at will to where you you condense his split. Instead of putting him outside of numbers, you condense his split and you may have put him on the top of the numbers and that may force the cornerback to bag up a little bit, right? Or you go to stacks and bunches where they, they some more, typically they normally, um, they, they, they press the, they press the, the point. But then they also play one or two off the other two guys and stacks of bunches can turn into post rocks, can turn into meshes, can turn into to whatever you want to call it. And you can still be able to run exact same post over concept just out of stacks and bunches. Um, 
stacks, you can kind of force the guys and spread this spread the entire field out. Right. And then you get the numbers in the running game to be able to run outside zone, inside zone, motion guys, still be able to run screens from all the way out there as well. So it, it the the it takes a very creative offensive coordinator to do so to get those guys to football. And I don't think they did that. I don't think you've seen neither one of those guys in jet motions or orbit motions around or screen. It, that, I don't think you've seen it. That's that's the that bothered me a lot this the, this whole the, season. You didn't the first I mentioned three weeks. Every it wasn't week. even there. It was not even there. You ca- in Vince's game notes the first three weeks. You counted how many yeah. times they ran motions pre-play. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's yeah. we made the joke all year long, Keith. That Satterfield listened to the show. Like that's how he made adjustments because it would be like Vince would call it out and the next week they'd start doing it. We'd be the, like, the, okay. The thing is, is Keith, we've been hit. We not hating, but like just calling a spade a spade. Like Malik was not that great this year passing the ball. And mm-hmm. I believe part of that is because he's probably not getting a good read pre-snap. I mean, it's a quarterback – It's because you're putting everybody in the freaking box. I, I what, can't read it either. You put everybody in the box. Exactly. And, and, and <laughs> those stack formations and all that, non-existent this year. That was non-existent for whatever reason. Blows well, my mind. Like he said, you out. can run your entire stuff. Big you can bunch everybody up. up and run everything the same. Like I just had a thought. Can you imagine like a Cincinnati fan stumbling upon to this podcast episode? Yeah, good luck. Good luck. I hope they do. I hope they do. Can I give you guys the best stat of the night right here? Are you ready for this? This yeah. Don't let us down. All right. In games in which Chris Bell had a catch for Louisville football, the freshman wide receiver, six foot two, two hundred and twenty pound wide receiver as a freshman. Louisville was four and one when Chris Bell had a catch. The only game that in which Chris Bell played and did not have a catch was Clemson. That kid's gonna be a stud. I'm I'm telling you right now. That kid's I'm just saying that's that's crazy to me. Like, <laughs> like I don't know what QC guy should have brought that to st- to sat much earlier. Maybe they did bring that to sat much earlier, but that to me is just a <laughs> nice little synopsis of how weird this season was. That in games the, in which Chris Bell had a catch analytics based off how many times we ran inside zone. <laughs> You know how Satterfield and, and that staff operated, right? They're going to go after the guys that have the most experience. Jalen Carter, former walk-on, like he's a guy who's he's kind of paid his dues. I think that's how they viewed it. So they'd rather him be the guy that's getting more of the reps instead of instead of a Chris Bell because Chris Bell is a true freshman. So they just trusted Jalen Carter more often. I'm not saying it's right. But Jalen uh, Carter had two of the. You, you know how you fix that, Presley, and Keith knows how to fix it too. Is anytime you have a freshman out there, you make sure to pair him up with a dude that knows that damn offense like it's the back of his hand. He knows yeah. what route he has, the outside guy has, and what's on the other side. So right. You sit, I mean, you break the huddle, boom, we clap, do our clap, and everything. Hey, post, 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 post. But instead, you Real throw quick. four guys out there. I don't know what the hell they're doing. Right. Yeah. So, so. <laughs> right, so they're not putting Chris Bell in there with with Braden Smith, no, and that's that's the problem right there. Um, and then the the other problem, you know, you guys were talking about they're stacking the box a lot, uh, they're not getting a lot of good pre snap looks. That shows with Amari Huggin Bruce and, and Braden Smith. Those two combined for fifty two yard fifty two catches for five hundred and eighty yards and three touchdowns. That's criminal. Yeah, that's that criminal is, right that there. Criminal. Those should be your two best receivers. That, those should both be 500 yard receivers. And I would I can't imagine a scenario where they both don't. You know, I mean, the wide receiver room is going to be a little more, more loaded this year, but you're going to be in a pass happy offense. I could see both of them going over 500 yards this season. Um, and I mean, 
they're both versatile. They both obviously, you know, as you guys suggested, they have a, a good route tree. I'm not as good at, at you know, at, at scouting guys, you know, their moves off the line of scrimmage and all that sort of stuff. But like, you know, just passing the the eye test, like they have speed, they have good uh, playmaking, playmaking ability after the catch. Um, they have good hands. There's no reason why Amari Huggins Bruce should go from a true freshman season we had 444 yards yeah, uh, to 365 yeah. this season. That just doesn't – a guy like that shouldn't be regressing. That should be a guy that you're looking at close to a 1,000-yard season. Uh, and I, I think that that based on him, the way that he was, you know, talking in post games and interviews and how he's posting on social media and stuff, this is a guy that, that he's staying at Louisville because he expects to be the guy next year. And I think he should be. Uh, and, and not to mention Braden Smith heading into the 21 season was going to be wide receiver one. And since then it's, he's now granted 21. He had the injury to deal with. And, but this year he just was more so of a trick play specialist. It seemed like at times. Yes, he, he was, I, he yeah. was, he was, he was, if you want to talk about eye candy and that sort of stuff, he was about as close as you got this year to that. I'm going to give my grade. Do it. I say, I'd say it's a, a C just a flat C. Like, you know, not nothing too flashy, but I mean, obviously Tyler Hudson had a hell of a year given everything, given, you know, what he has at his disposal as far as the, like, he's not the, he's not the talent, most talented guy. He's not the fastest guy, but my man going into the bowl game had zero drops. He was one of like three receivers in the country with zero drops. That's incredible. So, so he had a hell of a season should have had way more than two touchdown catches. And it took an, an incredible play in the Kentucky game to even get there. Yeah. Um, so that it was actually both touchdown catches he had this season were incredible plays. Um, so, so question. Yeah. Yeah. If Tyler Harrell was still on his team this year, this past season, 11 games, 11 wins as because of what Malik can hit Malik has Go somebody that he top. can trust Go down the as field. far as you can. And the reason why Mario Huggins Bruce became so wide open, had a season he had in 2021. It's because Tyler pieces. Yeah. yeah. Is, well, they got to have you have to have complimentary pieces. Yeah. Complimentary like football. The, it's like the running back needs the offensive line. If the offensive yeah. line plays well, the running backs plays well. Quarterbacks and receivers got to be on the same pairs. If nobody's complimenting each other, there's no way in hell you are going to be fucking successful. You're going to have games like the Clemson game. We get all the way to the two yard line and you fucking can't can't draw shit up. Get all the way to the Florida no, State. No, game Keith, we ran running. the damn play that freaking Clemson. This one grinds my gears more than anything about set. Yeah. Oh my god! Yeah. So that game in oh in twenty one, man, he ran the exact same play that Hunter Renfro scored on. It, yes. Why are you running that against them? The team that originated the play. Oh, let me just. I bet that's like trying to run the Philly special against the the Eagles. Right. Yeah, right. right. Oh, I bet they don't right. practice this during. That's like trying to use. Yeah, it's like re- using reverse psychology on your wife. That's just <laughs> good luck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, uh, you 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 have to have complimentary pieces, bro, in order for these smaller type of receivers, guys mm-hmm. that are shifty that can move around, in order for them to be successful. If you don't have that, man, good luck. Yeah, it's funny. Sat looked at the roster and was like, I'm going to just go as far opposite of Bobby as I can and just only have like four receivers who can play. Like instead of having 14, I'm going to have four. Uh, but I, I give them a C plus. I think the 1,000-yard uh, feat is one that if that doesn't happen, this team doesn't win eight games. Tyler uh, Hudson won this team games in a lot of ways because 
One of the things that this team did this year that no one really wants to talk about is how many times they found themselves in third and 17, third and 12, and they figured out how to get a first down. And Tyler Hudson would come up with big play after big play, and he would break arm tackles, and he would he would get the extra yards that you needed to win and mm-hmm. do what you needed to do with that bad passing offense. So yep. I give them – I think you could give them a D. Like, if you gave them a D, I, I wouldn't even – I wouldn't blink twice. I'd say you're right because outside of Tyler Hudson, everyone else was just not very good. But I think that it's worth pointing out that the offensive coordinator and coach, whoever's running the offense, whether it's Lance or whether it's Sat, didn't do a good enough job of using their weapons. It's a, it's you use the word criminal. It's criminal with Amari Huggins, Bruce. You only threw four passes out wide behind the line of scrimmage. It's just all year long. They didn't do things to put the wide receivers in positions to win, but still these guys got to be better. Um, I'm going to go B minus. I mean, even though Tyler, Tyler Hudson did have the thousand yard season, he was really good at making contested catches in traffic and just keeping the ball like within arm's reach. But like on the other side of that coin, he was having always make contested catches. I mean, he, he wasn't yeah. that great at creating separation nope. as opposed to anyone else, but he did have a thousand yards. He was really good at getting those extra few yards after the catch and powering through. So I'm not going to just completely crap on him because I mean, a thousand yard season is a thousand yard season. Yeah. But everyone collectively could have been better. So B minus. I'm going B minus as well. All the same reasons Matt said, but I'm just going to add on that uh, this room has goes into 2023 with the most questions, but most big play you know, possibilities at the same time. I think this room can really pop off next year with the new coaches and stuff. Yeah. Well, they'll have to, otherwise he'll run them off. Because I gave the tight ends a C, I'll give the receivers a C plus. Okay. I blame coaching. It's fair. Yeah, it's fair. It's really interesting. You lose Gunnar Brewer and all of a sudden you got oh. a room that just can't produce outside. Never should have got, got rid of him. Never should have got rid of him. You never should have got rid of him, but you also got a better version in Coach McGee. In this receiver oh, yeah. room right now, in that receiving room, who's going who's going to make something out of nothing with those guys? You That's haven't right. heard a single alumni that I mean, I wasn't even around Coach McGee, but the amount of guys that were around Coach McGee that I was around that have never said a bad word about him and have only had positive things to say is crazy. I've never never seen it at the college level like that. Yep, love that. That's big. The offensive line, not as deep as I think you would have expected them to be this year. They really were praised in the offseason by Coach Cardwell as being a group that could go, you know, eight, nine deep. They played really about six, seven guys uh, with injury to mm-hmm. Luke Kandra. That kind of forced them to be shorthanded. But overall, um, they did what they had to do uh, in terms of blocking and and really setting up a successful season running the football. We've obviously highlighted all episode long that the running game is really what carried this offense. Um, they do give up a lot of sacks this year, and that's the conversation we'll start with here. Um, you know, they give up a lot of sacks to Malik, which, you know, you, you can take that as Malik being more prone to sacks because he bounces around in the pocket, tries to do too much, and, and ends up going down late in the play. Uh, but they also gave up, you know, eight sacks to Brock Doman, who's more of a pocket guy. So you can see the 27 sacks that they gave up are definitely uh, worth talking about. Mm-hmm. And my my biggest bugaboo with this offensive line 
is not pulling the ripcord on Trevor Reed earlier in the season. I thought that Michael Gonzalez was the best offensive lineman this season outside of maybe Brian Hudson. I thought, and, and Caleb Chandler too, but Caleb dealt with a lot of nagging injuries throughout the year that really didn't allow. I know he's a what first team All American for or All American or All ACC, whatever it was. All, yeah, all that yeah. stuff. But I, I mean, I feel like Caleb constantly was coming out, and and I, I, I all throughout the season, I was asking you guys, why is there a left guard and it's not Caleb Chandler? Uh, yeah. But I, I thought that they did not make the move to put the guys in that were the best throughout the year consistently for whatever reason that is I don't, I don't know um, but at the end of the day they did their job they blocked they made holes they were nasty too right you go back to the game I can't remember who it was but we I'm, I remember making the joke that they needed to give Brian Hudson carries because of the way that he was just second third level blocking and, and you saw you know guys still struggling to to kind of especially early set the tone I think that that kind of affected them with Syracuse Florida State some of those games early in the season but still I think this group did enough to, for this offense to be successful and that's all that mattered because the offensive uh, passing game was non-existent so the offensive line carried this group in my opinion outside of the running backs yeah I mean when I when I look at this offensive line uh, the reason that I know that it was a really good unit is because of how disappointed slash nervous I am about losing a couple of guys this season. Uh, so I, I think that speaks for itself. I'm excited that they're going to have their tackles in their center back for, for next year. I think that's, that's an ex exciting component, but I mean, look, there were outside of the sacks allowed, which, you know, we can get into that as well, but outside of the sacks allowed, I, I felt that, that, I mean, it was our most consistent solid unit. Um, they stayed healthy. They were dogs. They set the tone on the road. Uh, it felt like Jacob, like really, um, and I don't know if this is the way that they're a coach, just their mentality, whatever it was, it felt like on those, in those road games, uh, Virginia, Boston college, uh, coming to mind, Clemson comes to mind. They were just absolute monsters, uh, finishing off plays multiple times. Like, you know, they, it was just, it was a, it was a dog mentality. Uh, I, and I really like to see that uh, I'm excited for, for what Michael Gonzalez can bring next year, because I think he's, he's him. He's that, that next guy that that's, he's going to be the next guy up type of situation. So, um, and I, I'm, I'm excited about Brian Hudson. I think Brian Hudson finished his plays better than, than a, any center I can remember since Eric Wood uh, at U of L I I'm, I'm trying to just rack my brain and just think about guys in between, but I mean, he's, he's a dog, man. So, I mean, we'll we'll go ahead assessing grades. I mean, you can't give them anything else besides an A, in my opinion. I think the only reason, and I said I get this, the only reason why they allowed as many sacks as they did was because of Malik. When you have a, a mobile quarterback like that, he's he's a guy that's going to try to make more plays instead of throw the ball away. He's responsible himself for ten to fifteen sacks. Like that's just, I think, I think that's just reality. It's like. Uh, it's just like stupid things like, you know, we talk about the basketball team right now, like shot clock violations and stepping out of bounds. Like that's the kind of stuff Malik was doing in football terms, you know, like he there were just so many plays where, you know, just live the fight another day. And instead, he's trying to extend a play. And, you know, he's in a six year kind of banged up, uh, not ready for the moment, you know, like coach 30. Uh, so it just uh, just I, I think there were really like 10 to 15 of those sacks are can be contributed to Malik not doing his job and not necessarily the offensive line run blocking was an a plus this year run blocking was amazing. As we talked about uh, the running backs, no matter who it was behind center, 
the running backs were were dominating and and part of that was it was due in part to the the offensive line was getting great push uh so i was really impressed with the way that they performed this year obviously hats off to caleb chandler we're gonna miss that guy um and yeah i I can't say enough great things about the offensive line this season yeah, Keith, one thing I'm interested in your perspective of, one one of the things I really admired about Jerron Christian when he was the left tackle at Louisville on those teams was if Lamar moved, Jerron was moving. Like, they were getting to be able to move that offensive line because they had an, an athletic left left tackle. Now, Trevor Reed is as athletic as they come. Vince doesn't need me to tell you that he can do a backflip. Like, that's the true measure of success. That's it. That, yeah, football, that, that is his measure. It's big time. Oh. Correct. Keith, like, don't feed this. Don't feed this. <laughs> I mean, this. if you could do a backflip, what you can put, you not do? Exactly. If you put him in Pete Nocta's shoes, put Jacob in Nocta's shoes. <laughs> I'm we would suck. All the We'd have a team of gymnasts <laughs> out there. <laughs> no, but, I mean, how important is that to be able to move your line as your quarterback like that moves? I mean, that, that seems crucial. I think it seems – it is extremely crucial. I think with – with the way that our defense played this year and the fact that that offensive line got to go up against that defensive line every single day gave them by far the best chance at being successful on Saturday nights. Right. Um, being athletic as a tackle is, is extremely good. I think being athletic, especially being, being able to move around when Malik moves around and be able to kind of, you know, shield off blockers from getting sacks, et cetera. Um, it plays a ton um, I think how many sacks did did this offensive line let up? Twenty seven. Twenty seven. So I'll take out of those twenty seven, I'll probably give Malik ten of those. Yeah. Right. I give Malik ten of those because he's moving around a pocket, trying to make something out of nothing. He should have threw the ball away, etc. Right. But the other seventeen of those may have been. Well, I, I'll give maybe seven of those to covered sacks, as they call them. Cover sacks where guys aren't necessarily getting open in the back end and Malik's just sitting in the pocket for a certain amount of time and boom, there comes a sack right now. But I truly think that offensive line might have been one of the better offensive lines we had. It's been a veteran group, if you think about it. Yeah, That is a veteran group of offensive line that we had. Guys who played at least two to two to three years of maybe four of actual college football, right? That's truly what I think, but... They also may have regressed because guess what we do as an offense? We run the football. Yeah, We don't pass the football, right? So there is nothing that can that'll give them the opportunity to at least pass it, get chip blocks. Like I said, it's, it takes a very fucking creative offensive coordinator to help out this offensive line and to help out this entire offense. There, I didn't see not one chip block from the running back or the tight end. I didn't see not one pill block from the offensive guard when the freaking defense end spins back and you're supposed to tee off on it. Right. Um, but outside of that, I think the offensive line played well. I think it's an A. I also think it's an A because if you look at it, that offensive line took pride in their jobs. I think the offensive line took pride in their jobs. So the fact that when Malik went out of bounds, guess what they did? That you see the entire offensive line group run out of bounds to go pick their man up. Yeah. When they're when the running backs 10, 15 yards down the field, guess what you see? You see the offensive line hustling down the field to do what that's what that takes. That's a that's a tone setter and that takes a, some grit to necessarily do so. So that's what up downs to do to you, man. No, Make your right. ass run down the damn field. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. What do we got? Great perspective. I'm, I'm going. I'm going with an A minus. I'm gonna keep it short and simple. You guys have already hit on all the damn points. So way to go, guys. Uh, they went over the 25, 2,500 yards this year rushing. I'm going A minus. 
uh, just for the fact that they gave up those 27 sacks. Excited for this group in 23. It's going to be tough to fill uh, the loss of Caleb Chandler. Going to miss him. Uh, wish him best of luck, you know, coming forward in the NFL draft. Yeah, I'm going to go A minus. Run blocking, oh, chef's kiss. Fantastic. Love it. Pass blocking, you know, good. Did give up some sacks, but, you know, all things considered, still pretty good. Yeah, I'll go A. I, I think this group um, set to tone in every single way for this offense, especially post-Boston College. This team became Ooh. aggressive. They became angry. They wanted to march on Lynch you. They wanted to run through your face over and over again. They set the tone. They weren't necessarily the most fundamentally sound team. They committed a lot of penalties, especially early, but this this group at least fought, and, and they were dogs, as Presley said. I'll give them an A. All the way around, we got A's for the offensive line. That's going to wrap the show up tonight. We appreciate you all for tuning in to the first week of our season in review of the 2022 season. Um, again, Scott Satterfield is gone, so a lot of this, take take it for what it is, uh, but this gives you a perspective in a lot of ways of why the season ended the way it did and why this offense was what it was throughout the year. Appreciate you guys for tuning in. Subscribe to the podcast anywhere you get your shows from, from the Pink Seats. Follow us on Twitter at Pink Seats Pod. Keith, give them the Twitter handle where they can follow you. If you're not following this man, you need to do it right now. Keith, what's the Twitter handle? It's at Coach Tobridge One. I'll probably change it like every like two weeks any fun way, but it's right now it's at Coach Tobridge One. So there you go. That, there's the there's the follow that you absolutely need to include on Twitter there. We'll be back next week. We've got two great guests. Keith Wynn. We're going to keep the Keiths rolling here. Uh, Keith Wynn, wow. Dave Skull, Biggest Biscuit will join us. Uh, excited to pair those two together. Again, subscribe to the podcast from the Pink Seats anywhere you can get your shows. State of Louisville Podcast Network. Until next week, go Cards. <laughs>